Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, we'll hear about reporter Natalie Wolchover's story about the hunt for signs of how the universe began. Physicists are trying to reverse engineer the clockwork of the Big Bang by looking for triangles in the sky. Once upon a time, about 13.8 billion years ago, our universe was a quantum speck. It grew to 1 million trillion 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 times its starting volume, all in less than a billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. Then it continued expanding at a slower rate, according to the known laws of physics. That's the story of cosmic inflation, the modern version of the Big Bang Theory. That one short, huge growth spurt fits all existing data well. It also explains why the universe is so large, smooth, flat, and uniform. But as an explanation of how and why the universe began, inflation falls short. The question is, why did the growth spurt happen? How did it happen? What, if anything, happened beforehand? These questions have stumped cosmologists since the theory emerged in the 1980s. We have very strong evidence that there was this period of inflation. That's Matthew Kleban, a cosmologist at New York University, in conversation with reporter Natalie Walchover. But we have no idea, or again, actually we have many, many ideas, but too many ideas, for what it was, uh -huh. fundamentally. To understand the origin of the universe, today's cosmologists want to identify the unknown thing that drives inflation, something they call the inflaton. Experts say the inflaton worked like a clock, one they imagine as a field of energy spread throughout space and driving it apart. With each tick, the inflaton clock doubled the size of the universe, keeping nearly perfect time, until it stopped. Theorists like Kleban have come up with hundreds of different models that might replicate the clockwork of the Big Bang. Like many who are working on this problem, Kleban is an expert in string theory. String theory is the leading candidate for a theory of everything that attempts to describe nature across all distances, times, and energies. Physics' known equations run into trouble when they're applied to the tiny, brief, frenzied environment of the Big Bang. Those equations struggle to cram enormous amounts of energy into extremely small chunks of space and time. But string theory does well in this environment. It hypothesizes extraspatial dimensions that diffuse the energy. At this high energy and tiny scale, points become one-dimensional strings and higher-dimensional membranes, or brains for short, all living in a ten-dimensional landscape. These vibrating, rippling gears may have powered the Big Bang's clock. Kleban imagines the string landscape as a skinny cylinder. The length of the cylinder represents the three spatial dimensions of macroscopic reality. Its circumference represents string theory's six other spatial dimensions, the ones that are too small to see. On the side of the cylinder, there's a circle. This circle is Kleban's clock, a membrane that bubbles into being and naturally expands, forming a new universe. Its energy ticks down like a clock each time the expanding circle winds around the cylinder and overlaps itself. When the energy of the brain weakens, the clock stops ticking and inflation ends. It's an idea some string cosmologists have praised for its efficiency, and Kleban said he thinks it's pretty plausible some version of this happens. The record of the inflaton's ticking can be seen in the distribution of galaxies and other structures that span the cosmos. 
Matya Saldariaga, a cosmologist at the Institute for Advanced Study, or IAS, said these structures and everything in them come from mistakes in the clock. Time is uncertain, so the universe inflated at slightly different rates in different places and moments, producing density variations throughout. The fuzziness in time can also be thought of as a fuzziness in energy as pairs of particles spontaneously appeared all over the inflaton field and stretched apart like two points on an inflating balloon. These particles were the seeds that grew into the galactic structures over the course of eons, the pairs of structures, like galaxies, that span the largest distances in the sky today came from the earliest quantum fluctuations during inflation. Structures that are closer together were produced later. Loosely, that's it. The sort of detailed measurement of the power spectrum is telling you in detail how the clock was ticking. That's Nima Arkani Hamed, a theoretical physicist at IAS. But it doesn't tell you anything about what the clock is made of. It doesn't tell you anything about uh, what, what, what color the hands of the clock are, yeah. <laughs> you know, which means how it interacts with other things and so yeah. on. Right? Yeah. It just tells you just the properties of the, just, just, it's just telling you what time it was. Cosmologists are looking for a new kind of data to reverse-engineer the clockwork. Their calculations suggest that galaxies and other structures are not just randomly spread out in pairs across the sky. They can also be arranged in more complex shapes, like triangles, rectangles, and pentagons. These shapes trace back not just to quantum jitter in the Big Bang's clock, but to a more meaningful turning of the gears. These cosmological triangles and other shapes are called non-Gaussianities to set them apart from the Gaussian bell curve of randomly distributed pairs of structures. Finding these non-Gaussianities requires more precise observations of the cosmos than we have now. But plans are being made for more sensitive experiments. Mark Kamiankowski, a cosmologist at Johns Hopkins University, said we'll have far more information than we have now. We'll also have sensitivity to far subtler effects. In the meantime, theorists are making progress in determining what shapes to look for and how to look for them. Eva Silverstein, a string cosmologist at Stanford University, said there's been a great renaissance of understanding. Silverstein came up with the dimensional winding mechanism used by Kleban, as well as many clock designs of her own. The rigorous study of non-Gaussianities took off in 2002. That was when Juan Maldacena, a revered theorist at IAS, calculated what's known as the gravitational floor. The gravitational floor is the minimum number of triangles and other shapes that must exist in the sky because of the effect of gravity during cosmic inflation. Cosmologists had been trying to calculate the gravitational floor for more than a decade, since it would give experimenters a concrete goal. Maldacena explained that if the floor is reached and still no triangles are found, then inflation is wrong. When Maldacena first calculated the gravitational floor, actually detecting it seemed like a distant goal. At the time, all precise knowledge of the universe's birth came from observations of the Cosmic Microwave Background, or CMB. The CMB is the oldest light in the sky and illuminates a two-dimensional slice of the early universe as it appeared 380,000 years after the Big Bang. 
There's a limited number of developing structures that appear in this 2D snapshot, and it seemed impossible that their slight tendency to be arranged in triangles and other shapes could ever be detected with statistical certainty. But Maldacena's work gave theorists the tools to calculate other, more pronounced forms of non-Gaussianity that might exist in the sky due to stronger effects than gravity, and it motivated researchers to come up with better ways to search for the signals. A year after Maldacena made his calculation, Zaldariaga showed that measuring the distribution of galaxies and groupings of galaxies that make up the universe's large-scale structure would yield many more shapes than observing the CMB. Olivier Doré, a cosmologist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, says it's a 3D versus 2D argument. Doré is working on a proposed search for non-Gaussianities in the large-scale structure. He says if you start counting triangles in 3D, there are many more you can count. The idea that counting more shapes in the sky will reveal more details of the Big Bang is implied in a central principle of quantum physics called unitarity. Unitarity dictates that the probabilities of all possible quantum states of the universe must add up to one, now and forever. Information stored in the quantum states can never be lost, only scrambled. This means that all information about the birth of the cosmos is encoded in its present state. The more precisely cosmologists know the present state of the cosmos, the more they can learn about its origins. But how did details of the Big Bang get encoded in triangles and other shapes? According to Zaldariaga, Maldacena's calculation opened up the understanding of how it comes about. In a universe governed by quantum mechanics, everything in nature is cross-wired. Each part morphs into and interacts with others with varying degrees of probability. This includes the inflaton field, the gravitational field, and whatever else existed in the early universe. Particles arising in these fields would have more into and scattered with each other to produce triangles and other geometric shapes like billiard balls scattering on a table. These events would be mixed in with the more mundane quantum jitter from those particle pairs that popped up in the inflaton field. The particle pairs caused so-called two-point correlations throughout the sky. For instance, a pair of particles might have surfaced in some other primordial field. One member of this pair might then have decayed into two inflaton particles while the other decayed into just a single inflaton particle. This would have yielded a three-point correlation or triangle in the sky. Or two mystery particles might have collided and split into four inflaton particles, producing a four-point correlation. Rarer events would have yielded five-point, six-point, and even higher-point correlations. Their numbers and sizes and interior angles encode the types and relationships of the particles that produce them. The unitarity principle promises that by telling the shapes ever more precisely, cosmologists will achieve an increasingly detailed account of the primordial universe. Following the calculation of the gravitational floor, other researchers showed that many simple inflationary models generate much more pronounced non-Gaussianity than the bare minimum. Clocksmiths like Silverstein and Kleban have since been busy working out the distinct set of triangles that their models would produce. These predictions will become increasingly testable in the coming years. Progress accelerated in 2014 when a small experiment based at the South Pole appeared to make a momentous discovery about the universe's birth. The announcement drummed up interest in the cosmological triangles, even though the supposed discovery ultimately proved a disappointment.
On March 17, 2014, news began to spread that evidence of cosmic inflation had been detected. The Stanford University's press office posted a celebratory video on YouTube. In the footage, cosmologist Andre Linda, one of the pioneers of inflationary cosmology, and his wife, Renata Kalosh, a string and supergravity theorist and cosmologist, answer their door. They find their Stanford colleague, Chow Lin Kuo, on the doorstep, accompanied by a camera crew. Wow, well, it's five it's sigma at point two. Discovery? Yes. What? <laughs> Viewers learn that BICEP2, an experiment co-led by Quo, has detected a swirl pattern in the CMB that would have been imprinted by ripples in space-time known as primordial gravitational waves. And these could only have come from cosmic inflation, when corkscrew-like particles popped up in the gravitational field, stretched and permanently froze into the shape of the universe. In the next scene, Linda sips champagne with his wife and their guest. In the early 1980s, Linda, Alexei Starobinsky, Alan Guth, and other young cosmologists devised the theory of cosmic inflation. They developed it as a patch for the broken 1930s-era Big Bang theory, which described the universe as expanding outward from a singularity, a point of infinite density. This old Big Bang theory failed to explain why the universe hadn't become uneven and distorted as it grew. Cosmic inflation provided a clever fix for these problems. Bicep 2's findings suggested that the theory was conclusively proved. Here's Linda in the Stanford video again. If this is true, this is a moment of understanding of nature of such a magnitude that it just overwhelms. Uh, and let's see, let, let, let's just hope that it is not a trick. To many researchers, the most exciting thing about the alleged discovery was the strength of the swirl signal, measured as r equals 0.2. The measurement indicated that inflation occurred at an extremely high energy scale and at the earliest moments in time, near the time-energy domain where gravity, as well as the effects of strings and brains, would have been strong. The higher the energy scale of inflation, the more cross-wiring there would be between the inflaton and these other primordial ingredients. The result would be pronounced triangles and other non-Gaussianities in the sky. After bicep, uh, we all stopped what we were doing and started thinking about inflation. Here again is Arkani Hamed. But also it's that everyone says that inflation is our sort of highest energy natural process, right? It's like having a gigantic accelerator much, much higher energy scales. If, if bicep held up, there would be direct proof that that's true. So we'd even have a measure of what the energy scale is. And so, you know, we just started started thinking about how you could make that statement more more precise. And, mm -hmm. and if there really was exotic stuff up there, how exactly you'd go about uh, looking for it. As these investigations took off, more details of BICEP2's analysis emerged. It became clear that the discovery was indeed a trick of nature. The team's telescope at the South Pole had picked up the swirly glow of the galactic dust rather than the effect of primordial gravitational waves. A mix of anguish and anger swept through the field. Two years on, primordial gravitational waves still haven't been detected. In January, BICEP2's successor, the BICEP Keck Array, reported that the value of R can be no more than 0.07. This lowers the ceiling on the energy scale of inflation and moves it further below the scale of strings or other exotic physics. Nonetheless, many researchers were now aware of the potential goldmine of information contained in triangles and other non-Gaussianities.
It had become apparent that these fossils from inflation were worth digging for, even if they were buried deeper than Bicep 2 had briefly promised. Yeah, R went down a little bit, Maldacena said, but it's not so bad in his opinion. A relatively high scale is still possible. In a paper last spring, Maldacena and Arkani Hamed used symmetry arguments to show that a key feature of string theory could manifest itself in triangles. String theory predicts an infinite tower of higher spin states, essentially strings vibrating at an infinitely rising sequence of pitches. So far, no fundamental particles with a spin value greater than 2 have been discovered. Maldacena and Arkani Hamed showed that the existence of a higher spin state would result in alternating peaks and troughs in the strength of the signal produced as triangles in the sky grow longer. For string theorists, this is exciting. Daniel Bowman, a theoretical cosmologist at the University of Amsterdam, said you can't build a consistent interacting theory of such a particle except if you have an infinite tower of them. Finding the oscillatory pattern in the triangles in the sky would confirm that this tower exists. Bauman said just seeing one particle of spin greater than two would indicate string theory is present. Other researchers are pursuing similarly general predictions. In February, Kamienkowski reported detailed information about primordial particles that is encoded in the geometry of four-point correlations. These get interesting, he said, because four points can lie flat or sweep into the third dimension. Observing the signals predicted by Arkani Hamed, Maldacena and Kamienkowski would be like striking gold, but the gold is buried deep. Their strength is probably near the gravitational floor and will require at least 1,000 times the sensitivity of current equipment to detect. Other researchers prefer to tinker with custom string models that predict more pronounced triangles and other shapes. So far we've explored, I think, only a very small fraction of the possibilities for non-Gaussianity. That's Kamienkowski again. We've explored, I would say, the simplest ones and perhaps the ones that seem more compelling, at least initially. There are many, many more possibilities. Meanwhile, Linda and Kalosh are working in a totally different direction. Over the past three years, they've studied a class of models called cosmological alpha attractors. This model does not predict any non-Gaussianities above the gravitational floor at all. According to these cosmological alpha attractors, cosmic inflation was completely pure, driven by a solitary inflaton field. The field is described by a Kähler manifold, which maps onto the geometric disk seen in Escher's drawing of Angels and Devils. The Escherian geometry provides a continuum of possible values for the energy scale of inflation. This includes values so low that the inflatons cross-wiring to the gravitational field and other primordial fields would be extremely weak. If such a model does describe the universe, then swirls, triangles, and other shapes might never be detected. Linda isn't bothered by this. In supporting the alpha attractor models, he and Kalosh are staking a position in favor of simplicity and theoretical beauty. They may never know for sure whether their cosmological origin story is correct. An alpha attractor universe, Linda said, is like one of the happy families in the famous opening line of Anna Karenina. As he paraphrased Tolstoy, any happy family, well, they look in a sense alike. But all unhappy families, they're unhappy for different reasons. Will our universe turn out to be happy and completely free of distinguishing features? 
Bowman argues that models like Linda's and Kalosh's are too simple to be plausible. He says they're building these models from the bottom up, introducing a single field and trying to be very minimal. It would have been a beautiful model of work, he said, but it's hard to engineer a single field acting by itself when you try to embed inflation into a fundamental theory of nature. String theory has many of these effects, Bauman said. You can't ignore them. And so the search for triangles and other non-Gaussianities is underway. Between 2009 and 2013, the Planck Space Telescope mapped the CMB at the highest resolution yet. Scientists have since been scouring the map for statistical excesses of triangles and other shapes. As of their most recent analysis, they haven't found any. Given the sensitivity of their instruments and their 2D searching ground, they only ever had an outside chance of doing so. But the scientists are continuing to parse the data in new ways, with another non-Gaussianity analysis expected this year. Here, Anya Piris, an astrophysicist at University College London, is searching for non-Gaussianities in the Planck data. She said that she and her collaborators are taking cues from string cosmologists in determining which signals to look for. Pierce wants to test a string inflationary mechanism called axion monodromy, including variants recently developed by Silverstein and collaborators. These variants generate an oscillatory pattern in triangles that can be much more pronounced than the pattern studied by Arkani Hamed and Maldacena. To find such a signal, Pierce and her team must construct templates of the pattern and match them with the data in what she called a very numerically intensive and demanding analysis. Then they have to do care careful statistical tests to make sure they're not being fooled by random fluctuation in the data. Some string models have already been ruled out by this data analysis. Silverstein says she finds the public debate about whether string theory is too divorced from empirical testing to count as science surreal, because she said they are currently doing some traditional science with string theory. Moving forward, cosmologists plan to scour more of the universe's large-scale structure. Starting in 2020, the proposed Sphere-X mission could measure non-Gaussianity sensitively enough in the distribution of 300 million galaxies to determine whether inflation was driven by one clock or two cross-wired clocks. Dore, who is working on the Sphere-X project, said to reach this level would dramatically reduce the number of possible inflation theories. A few years further out, the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope will map 20 billion cosmological structures. If the statistical presence of triangles is not detected in the universe's large-scale structure, there is yet another, perhaps final, approach. The 21-centimeter line is an ultra-faint radio signal emitted by hydrogen atoms and traces back to the creation of the first stars. By mapping this line, cosmologists would be able to measure even more modes or arrangements of structures. Maldacena said the 21-centimeter line is going to have information about the whole volume of the universe. If or when triangles show up, they will one by one reveal the nature of the inflaton clock and why it ticked. But will enough clues be gathered before we run out of sky in which to gather them? The promise of unitarity, that information can be scrambled but never lost, comes with a caveat. Maldacena said if we assume we can make perfect measurements and we have an infinite sky, then in principle all the interactions and information about particles during inflation are contained in these three-point correlations and others. But perfect measurements are impossible, and worse, the sky is finite. There is a cosmic horizon, the farthest distance from which light has had time to reach us, and thus beyond which we cannot see. 
During inflation and over the entire history of the accelerating expansion of the universe since then, swirls, triangles, and other shapes have been flying past this horizon and out of sight, and with them the subtlest of signals associated with the rarest, highest energy processes during inflation are lost. Cosmologists will never be able to gather enough statistics in our finite patch of sky to tease them out, making a complete accounting of nature's fundamental parts impossible. In his paper with Maldesina, Arkani Hamed initially included a discussion of this issue, but he removed most of it. He finds the possibility of a limit to knowledge tremendously disturbing and sees it as evidence that quantum mechanics must be extended. His work on the amplitudehedron, for example, casts quantum mechanical probabilities as emergent consequences of an underlying geometry. He plans to discuss this possibility in a paper that will relate an analog of the amplitudehedron to non-Gaussianities in the sky. Some people are more bothered by a limit to knowledge than others. Now, I... I'm more practical. That's Matias Aldariaga. We are nowhere near like getting to this maximum amount uh. of modes that we can measure. By nowhere, no, no, nothing. Like tens of, many tens of orders of magnitude more modes there are that in principle we could see in our, in our Hubble volume that we are not being able to measure just because of technological or theoretical inability and so mm -hmm. on. So, mm -hmm. so these, in principle, questions are interesting, but we are also um, way before this point, right? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Kliban also feels hopeful. He says there is a finite amount of information, but you could also say the same thing about evolution. There's a limited number of fossils, but we have a pretty good idea of what happened, and it's getting better and better. If all goes well, enough fossils will turn up in the sky to tell a more complete story. A vast searching ground awaits. You're listening to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Thanks to Stanford News Service for the use of their audio. I'm Karen Chikurji. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.